Broadcasting live from the epicenter of the hit music universe, we are Teenax Entertainment. I told you, they're the best. What's up, everybody? It's your host, Kai Tierra Star, otherwise known as Young Body. Today, I'm very excited. I have one of my favorite people in the whole world. She's a yogi. She's really inspiring. She's a beacon of light. This is my sister, Simran Shakti. Simran, how are you today? Hi, I'm amazing. How are you? <laughs> I'm amazing. Thanks for asking. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. I'm super excited to be here and just to share. Sam, I'm really excited to hear your perspective on some of the questions I have for you today. So I want to start out with asking you just who you are. If you could give me a description of yourself, what would it be? What are your hobbies? All that. Yeah, yeah. It's all. It always sounds like and feels like a loaded question to hear, like, you know, who are you? So I'll do my best. I'll come from my heart. Um, who I am is I'm a person with a purpose that I'm aware about and a lot of inspiration and motivation to share the highest potential with everything and everyone around me. Okay, Simran, so I know that you're a yoga instructor. Before this quarantine, you were doing live in-person yoga sessions, but now you've transitioned more to online yoga slash life coaching. Mm -hmm. So tell me about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I've been teaching yoga for a bit over three years now, practicing yoga for almost nine years now. And so before quarantine, I was uh, teaching, I was doing some subclasses at Inner Space Yoga. And before that, in various places that I live, like I started this um, yoga teaching journey in Chicago. And so, yeah, everything was live and on the mat face to face. And now things have moved to the online platform and so I basically just advertise the classes on my Instagram and whoever wants to flow together and do that deep you know inner work of yoga can just DM me or message me text me call me you know and I just send the link out it's all donation based I'm really inspired to just share the medicine share the practice because ultimately yoga is for everybody and it's my dharma, my, my soul's path, my work to share yoga. And as far as transformational life coaching, that has been something that is, has newly come into my field and become really clear to me. Like, oh yes, this is another one of those things that I'm here to do. And so I see myself, I've seen myself my whole life being an advice giver, uh, a person who people confide in, they look for advice, they listen to, they wanna be heard by. I've been this person that people, um, trust with with their information and and I've resented that space in my life for a long time I felt like I felt heavy I felt like you know people were looking for something within me that I didn't have to offer that I, I didn't have I didn't have for them I didn't know how to help people and now as I've gotten older and I've gone through so many transformative processes and self-realization I realize okay now I have the tools and it's so fulfilling for me to offer to be a space where people can be heard and people can be inspired to remember that all the answers they're looking for are within themselves. And I can be a reflection to shine that light on 
where those blind spots might be that they can't see. And so what I'm calling it now is holistic uh, transformational coaching. And that just feels really good. It's a way for me to incorporate yoga. It's a way for me to incorporate having a, a totally healthy lifestyle, having a space that we set up so that we're in the position to transform, so that we're in the position within our lives to self-realize. That's amazing. I want to ask you, how do people kind of get into that space where they're open enough to try yoga? Because I hear specifically sometimes in the male gender, just feeling like it's not really something that's for them. That's maybe a preconceived notion of yoga is only for women or whatnot. Yeah. How can you inspire those people to realize that yoga is for everyone? It's a transformative lifestyle that you dive into when you start doing yoga. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I hear that. You know, I get that a lot. People, people are even nervous to step on the mat. People are even nervous to consider doing yoga because there's already like this preconceived notion that you have to be a certain way to even consider doing yoga. And I have really good news for everybody. The The thing about yoga is it comes from the root word yoke, which if you think about yoke, it means together. It means one. So yoga in itself, the word simply means oneness. It's this inherent connection, this interconnectedness between everything. And why that matters, how that's helpful is the point of practicing yoga the breath, the meditation, the postures, the movements, the intention work, the point is simply to remember that we are not separate from our source. Mm -hmm. And so since we're already inherently not separate from our source, it really doesn't matter what we look like, who we are, how our body stretches, what our meditation looks like. None of that matters because it's yoga. It, it, yoga is not founded on material concepts or needs it's founded deep within a spiritual truth which is right. interconnectedness and so I like to tell people yoga is a practice I'll be practicing yoga for the rest of my life there's nowhere to go there's no goal there's no true purpose of of me doing this practice besides remembering my connection with God How did you find that connection? How did you start? What was your inspiration to start yoga? Because just listening to you, you're so inspiring. So how did you find that confidence to be able to inspire others? Mm. Yeah, I appreciate that. It's, it's been a journey, of course. You know how it is. Um, so the journey really for me started, I was in high school and... Um, I had been running track my whole life. I ran track for 13 years from age five to 18. And I ran very competitively. I ran in school and I also ran in summer and I ran in spring. I ran all year round and it was extremely competitive. And it was such a discipline. And at the same time, it was so detrimental to my physical body. And, and there was a point in my high school career, my track career, when I realized I can't keep doing this to myself. It's too much anxiety, it's too much pressure, and it's too much physical trauma. Mm -hmm. And so 
I decided to check out a yoga class at the gym that I practiced my my track, my training for track every day. So one day after uh, track practice, I went into a yoga class and it was maybe five minutes into the yoga class. I just had this this knowing flood over my whole body and it was this is what I'm going to do the rest of my life yoga right and let's go a little bit into uh, you said that you realized in this competitive sport that you had been doing from age five that you aren't in the space where that serves you anymore Mm -hmm. how do our listeners deal with maybe They play a sport their entire life. They come to the realization that this doesn't serve me anymore. How do you deal with the emotions that come with that? Because Mm -hmm. you kind of feel, you know, guilty. You don't want to stop something that you've been doing for so long. Your family is encouraging you to keep going. How do you know when the time is right for you? And how can you explain that to others who are struggling or who are in that same position right now? Yeah. I appreciate that. I remember it was it was so challenging once I came to the realization in my heart and from my heart that running track competitively was no longer what I needed to be doing. It was so challenging because people around me didn't live in a heart-led space. They lived in a mind-led space. All the pressure was on for me to run track, for me to get a scholarship, for me to go to college, for me to have a good life. You know, like there was so much compounded pressure on me running track. Like it felt like more people than me were invested in me running track and doing well. So I totally get that pressure. And here I am in high school. It was, um, I think it was my senior year before the, the, um, the track season in spring started. And I had this a realization. And it was so crazy, you know? It was like, oh my God, am I a quitter? Like my mom, she's not gonna be okay with this. Like, you know, she already like says I'm a quitter. So I, I get that pressure. And I found the strength within myself. I found the strength within myself. I had conversations with myself as far as, okay, if you're if anyone outside of you is disappointed, remember, she's not the one that's going to be running track for me. She's not the one that's going to be competing in the meets. She, I can't expect her to understand this knowing I have. I can't expect her to feel the anxiety that I feel, to feel the pain that I feel in my body when I do this sport that's no longer working for me. And that was inspiring for me enough. It was inspiring for me to know that that it's powerful, that it's important to listen to my inner guidance, to listen to my body, to listen to my heart, and to be guided by that. I know that there's so much propaganda out there as far as don't listen to your heart, listen to your head. You know, there's so much of that. And the reality is, is that there's a Sanskrit word. It's called paramatma. Param means supreme or superior and atma means soul. Every single living being has a paramatma in their heart. It's their soul. The supreme soul is within all of our hearts, AKA God, AKA source is in all of our hearts, not in our heads, it's in our hearts. Mm-hmm. And that's what I decided to listen to. Yeah. And that, that led me in a beautiful way. I agree. And just watching you from a little sister perspective, it was always really inspiring to see you just breaking the mold and kind of leading that way for me so that it was easier for me to make those harsher decisions in my life or the more... I guess, uh, telling decisions or really big decisions. Mm -hmm. So going a little bit deeper into that, when you're talking about people 
listening to their hearts rather than being led by logic. I know a lot of people always want to say that you can't be led by your heart because that translates to them being over emotional, not making logical decisions because you're going off of emotion. But how do you break away from that social conditioning to understand that it is okay to lead by your intuition and to let your heart make the decisions for you when maybe your brain can't? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's a process. It's a process of trusting, of surrendering of letting go of emotional attachment to expectation because the heart journey is not going to look like anything that anybody ever said or showed us. All of our hearts, pathways, and journeys are unique. That's why we're here. We have a unique pathway to follow. And that blueprint is within our hearts. That's within our being specifically, just like every fingerprint is different on each being. We have a specific blueprint that is within our heart, within our cells. And it's not going to look like anything that anybody ever prophesies because we are the prophecy ourselves for our own paradigm, for our own reality. And so knowing that, it gives me the space to explore. It gives me the space to have childlike curiosity and a discovery mind about, oh, what's life going to look like today? Like, what is this adventure? And not be harsh on myself, to have compassion and know that, you know, I'm going to have experiences. I'm going to learn. Some are going to be challenging. Some are going to be beautiful. And it's all going to be beautiful ultimately because there's this there's this mood of curiosity. There's this mute mood of expectation. And as far as listening to the heart and emotions and being swayed, you know, irresponsibly by emotions, yeah, well, the thing about that is we've been conditioned to not even process or acknowledge our emotions. So if we have a bunch of stuff down, suppressed emotions, of course, they're running the scenes from the subconscious. Something that one of my teachers says that's inspiring is... Um, um, Something like basically what's stuffed down and not looked at will be driving the car. So we'll be either way, if I acknowledge my emotions or not, if I don't acknowledge them and if I stuff them down, there's going to be subconscious fear-based decisions I'm going to make. There's going to be over overly defending. There's going to be all of these jaded realities that I'm coming from because there's some emotions that I'm not looking at. And so I think something that's important for people is when we start diving into trusting our hearts is recognize there's a lot of shit that's going to come up. There's emotion. There's, there's shit that's going to hit the fan that hasn't been able to come out and to create a safe space for us to be curious about what our emotions are trying to share with us. Because emotion simply is energy, E, in motion energy in motion and if the energy has been compressed and put in a tight place stuffed down it hasn't had a place it hasn't had the motion that it that it naturally is you know what i mean always hear these days people talking about how they don't want to acknowledge their emotions they would rather pretend like something didn't happen rather than asking themselves how that made me feel how do I process these emotions that maybe I don't know how to process what could be maybe a tip that you started 
when you started to break the mold and you started to listen to yourself and acknowledge those traumas, acknowledge those things that created the person that you are. Yeah, I get that, you know, because naturally we're spirit souls. We're infinite. We're eternal. We're not limited by emotions. And so naturally there's a resistance. There's a resistance to things like death that we know are going to happen to this physical body, but that are unnatural for our soul since our soul is eternal. So when we have emotions, you know, it can feel uncomfortable and and like yeah a lot of people don't want to feel discomfort or pain and I get that and at the same time it's important to remember that we are not our emotions we're not our mind we are the awareness viewing it all mm-hmm. wow that's a really amazing perspective to see life in and yeah. I never thought about that till right now yeah we are the awareness perceiving the whole thing and so when I have emotions come up I look at them when I have pain come up, I look at it. Oh, I'm feeling pain. And I look at it and I be with it and I talk to it. I ask it why it's here. Does it have any messages that it wants to share with me? I, I state out loud that I'm open to receiving the messages. I just take space to be with it without an agenda, without the need to get rid of it because I know I'm not it. I'm just looking at it. It's coming here to basically upgrade my consciousness. If I can look at it and be and be moved by it and, and synthesize, synergize with the energy, the emotion that's coming up, there's a there's a blossoming that, that is trying to take place. It's like a, a garden trying to expand itself. Right, and that is that growth. Exactly. So I want to talk a little bit about body hair. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about society and how women feel like they have to shave. They have to shave their private parts. They have to shave their legs, their arms. We have to wax our eyebrows, all of that. So when did you come to the realization in your life that that is not my reality? That is not my truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just in your language, as you ask that question, you say, you say words like have to. And there came a point in my journey when I saw all of the areas that I wasn't taking responsibility for my life. When I looked around and I saw that there's a perfect matrix system set up around me so that I don't have to take responsibility so that someone else can own me and own all all my decisions and tell me what to do. Because ultimately, I'm too lazy or too numb to make those decisions for myself. And I realized that by taking like taking my power back look like me dropping into what really resonates for me right now and what's teaching me, what's inspiring me, what's serving me and being moved from there. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think basically how it started was probably in some yoga class somewhere. I saw a woman with her with hairy armpits and I was like, oh, that's an option for me. Mm-hmm. And so I just stopped shaving. I said to hell with it because honestly, rubbing a razor against my skin, it results in so many like little nicks and tears and cuts and blood. And plus there's like toxic chemical strips on razors that's like apparently conditioning and it's actually a chemically based like toxin. And so there are all these reasons that I already didn't want to be shaving. And so once I, I just saw on the outside, I saw a reflection of myself embodying you know, the reality that she didn't have to shave, I just went for it and I stopped shaving everything. And, um, and for a while I had like a pretty strong attachment to not shaving because I knew I was, I was doing some sort of like deconditioning of my consciousness. I was like, I was uh, upgrading my consciousness to know that it's okay if I have body hair, it keeps growing back. It's natural. Apparently it's supposed to be here. And I started practicing Kundalini yoga and, um, I learned that 
uh, hair, hair is like antennas, you know, like in the movie Avatar, the hair, it's like an antenna. Our hair is an extension of our nervous system and um, it's, it's like expanded surface area for sensuality. And when I say sensuality, I mean perception through the senses. And so body hair basically just became this really beautiful thing for me to be curious about and to explore. Like, wow, do I feel more sensitive when I have hair? Like, what does this feel like? And so I just got really curious about it and gave myself, you know, had the compassion to be different, to be an outcast, to discuss people. And and the truth about it is, is like I was secure enough in myself so that if other people are disgusted, you know, and ignorant and they don't know it's up and not coming from a judgmental place, but that's just where they're at, then I'm in the space to have compassion for them and to share the inspiration and to not have attachment to them accepting me because I accept myself. Right. And that in itself inspired me to go on my journey of not shaving and just kind of realizing that I don't have to be something else other than myself for people to love me because I always felt like I was gross because I had armpit hair, so I didn't think <clears throat> that a boy would like me because of that or because I have leg hair because it's a stigma It's a stigma that women have to have super soft, smooth skin. And in reality, my skin is extremely soft with leg hair. It, it has nothing to do with that. It's my natural form, and I choose not to conform to someone else's idea of what beauty is because I am living my life. Right. So how do you deal with that in a relationship when it comes to a partnership? Mm -hmm. As far as for me and my current relationship, I just told my boyfriend straight up, like, I don't shave. You can like me or we don't have to date. I don't care. But this is me. I will not change myself for you in this sense. Like, obviously, I'm not going to continue to do something that hurts my partner intentionally. But when it comes to something that is my physical, I'm, I will never change for someone else. Mm -hmm. So how do you process that and what has, um, maybe what is a, a relationship that maybe brought that up for you as far as like maybe someone not agreeing with the way that you choose to live your life and how did that affect the relationship? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I hear, I hear like when you're sharing, there's like a certain there's like a certain amount of aggression in your tone like I refuse to change how I show up for you and I totally had that I had that I had that so strong I had that rebellion I had that like I'm not conforming because that's not what serves me fuck this system and all of that and as I you know as I just rooted more into myself I realized like you know if I'm holding any of that energy that energy is imploding within and in all directions honestly and so it came to me, ultimately what it was, is me really deepening into what's real for me. Like, am I going to be more of my soul if I have hair or not? Ultimately, no. Ultimately, it doesn't matter. Ultimately, body hair is still material energy that is going to be transcended with the death of this body. My soul is eternal. My body hair is a part of my already dead physical body. And so... That's the premises that I'm always standing on, is that eternity. And so when conversations come up, when people are triggered, I have the space to share my inspiration for growing my body hair, to inspire women to love themselves exactly how they are and how women inspired me to do that and all the, liber like the liberty that that brought me. And in, in within those relationships, like my partnership 
currently. You know, we had this conversation very recently, and it was beautiful because for the one of the like the first time ever, I didn't feel attached to my body hair. You know, he was expressing his discomfort with it, and we were able to look at it and talk about it. And he was able to have realizations of his own because I know that his discomfort has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with him. And so it's not my business to change how I show up in my reality because I feel I have the power to make somebody else uncomfortable. The truth is none of us have the power to hurt anyone, to make anyone just uncomfortable. We all experience our reality as the source of our reality. We are the source of our reality. And so I know that people's responses and reactions are theirs and I can show up in compassion and I can have an opportunity to upgrade their system and just share what it is for me. Or, you know, maybe they don't hear it. Maybe that's not the message for them right there, right then, right now. And that's okay too. That's exactly where they're at. And so this this deep self-acceptance allows me to just accept everybody else where they are. Wow. And I think that that's something that has, I've been able to watch you grow into that, which mm. in turn helps me as like the little sister, like looking up to you. Mm find that in ways in my life and obviously I'm still working on it everyone's a work in progress um but I want to talk a little bit about being biracial Mm -hmm. and being in a predominantly white um neighborhood going to predominantly white schools and how you navigate being mixed because I know our dad he would always say don't feed into stereotypes don't be loud don't do this don't do that because you don't want people to perceive you in a certain way and so for me that was really that was really hard to accept as a child I had no idea what he was talking about I didn't understand that there was already these um stigmas and these views about people of color and specifically women of color so I want to know how you navigated going to school how you found yourself outside of being a mixed person mm-hmm. oh I love this this is so real uh-huh yeah so we definitely grew up with with uh, our dad saying that and Early on in my life, I was so inspired to love God, and I didn't really even know what that meant. I just knew that I loved to be outside. I loved to stare at rain droplets and leaves for a really long time and tiny flowers. And there's something about nature that gave me such, that just inspired such security within me. Like, okay, if everything melts down, the earth will still be here, and I'll be barefoot on the earth, naked in the grass, and I'll be okay. That made you know what that it made it easy for me to disassociate. You know the 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 majority of my childhood I disassociated with my experience because it was so painful, and I didn't know what the fuck to do with it. And so when Dad would say things like that, I would disassociate. I would um, in one ear out the other. It you know I was like I don't know how that applies to my reality. I don't care how it applies to my reality. I'm not receiving that. Still on a subconscious level, it got in, and. I resisted it. I resisted it because I know that, and I knew that if I'm sitting here trying not to be what the stereotype is, I'm still controlled by the stereotype. Now I'm just being guided in my life to live the opposite way of the stereotype. And I'm not here to live the way of the stereotype or the opposite way of the stereotype. Again, I'm here to live the unique blueprint of my soul. And so I knew that dad didn't really get that for me. 
And so what was necessary for me in my childhood throughout the the privileged white schools and all of the little girls and boys who like viewed me as a clown with frizzy hair and all of the rejection for being black and all of the um, the disharmony and the pain and the the confusion that I had as a little girl with nappy hair in an all white school. Yeah, are people like neighborhoods <laughs> like. Uh, referring to you as a lion when like as for me a ch as a child my biggest insecurity was my hair mm -hmm. it was the thing that everyone complimented me on but it was my biggest insecurity because it was big and it wasn't straight mm -hmm. and so I remember being in third grade being on the bus and someone telling me that my hair looked like a lion and they thought that that was a compliment but to me that was like so <clears throat> it was so traumatizing because it was like um, kind of confirming everything that I already thought about myself and the things that I, I already knew that people thought about me. So how did you even deal with growing up with nappy hair? And how yeah. did you deal with having, quote, good hair mm -hmm. and not fitting in with just everything? Yeah, like the black, yeah, the black people didn't like me because I was cute and I had good hair. And then the white people just, like, didn't like me because, like, whatever. And... Looking back, honestly, Kai, like, I, I'm serious when I say this, I disassociated so far from my experience. And when I found yoga, I totally indulged in the illusion of transcendence. My, my biggest weapon was being uninfluenced. My biggest weapon was being unmoved by anything outside of me. And it was totally false. It was totally false. It was totally me not feeling my emotions, not experiencing my experience. It was totally me like pretending that I wasn't affected. I was in so much pain. But at the same time, me showing my pain in those moments was not going to help me out. I had to, I had to hold a certain amount of strength. And that's not something I advertise doing right now. I totally advertise going into emotions because now it's been a shitstorm unpacking and looking at everything. And that's just my journey. That's just my path. And I have compassion for that. But I know how I got through it was I disassociated from that reality. I, and it was actually a beautiful, responsible powerful thing to cultivate as a child is being unmoved mm -hmm. I had I had this beautiful guidance as far as like what to do when to do it how to say it what's really important to focus on what's draining my energy I was really good at doing school I knew that it would keep all the attention off of me in the household if I did really good at school so that I could focus my energy on other things like ascending I mean I was reading books about yoga and meditating in third eye and opening my pineal gland at a really young age like I was on this trajectory and the, the state the, the place that I was in it wasn't heavy enough for me to like forget that connection with God it wasn't heavy enough it was more inspiring for me to think about God and moving towards the light and enlightenment and truly realizing myself as an eternal being beyond all of these stigmas and races and weird injustices and inequities it was so inspiring for me to think about moving through that getting out of it and then doing doing the work that I do now so with that work, I hear you say that you were working on unpacking all of those experiences, trauma, emotions. Now, to me, that sounds like you would do that through meditation. Mm. So how did you find meditation? How did you finally be able to sit with yourself? Mm -hmm. And what tools do you use to help in your meditation process? Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Meditation is certainly one of my my main tools for unpacking and for uh, witnessing and observing my experience. Like I said, we're the observer, we're the perceiver, we are the awareness perceiving. And so meditation is so powerful to just see what's going on with me, to just see what's going on around me. We have sensual perception that is um, more powerful than our eyes and our minds. And when I close my eyes and I go, then I can I can witness the entire universe inside my body. And so for me, that started in that very first yoga class. You know, I, I had a really competitive spirit. I still do. I had a really competitive spirit. Like I said, I ran track for 13 years and I was damn good at it. I was competitive. And so when it came to my yoga practice, I had a certain competitiveness about it with myself. I was like, no, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to be quiet and I'm going to hold this perfect meditative posture and I'm going to meditate. And even if my mind's going crazy, I'm going to sit here. And so I had this really, it was this funny, it's funny to me now to look back on because now I know that like the way into the deep, beautiful, like nirvana surrender of meditative experiences in yoga is not force, but that's how I got in. I got in by being really really fixed on doing it you know like I, I knew that it was going to take some work to to unpack and to soften into um the magic of yoga and of meditation specifically and when I got started um I was I was so determined to do that work that the neurosis of my mind the than not being able to stop thinking and um, obsessing over certain things in my mind. Like, so many fears came up that I had stuffed down that when, when I became quiet, they just came up and they were so bombarding. And my determination was to focus on meditating. And so I had different techniques. You know, I used different things to focus my mind on until I could actually, like, just be with my experience and witness the whole thing. And so I would use, like, the the idea that my mind is a sky and thoughts are the clouds. And so clouds are coming through. And just like the sky, the sky doesn't hold the cloud and say, hey, you're gonna stay right here, stop, stay right here. Or the cloud, or the sky doesn't go like, hey, get out of the sky, get out, go, go, go. So I, I love that, that um, perspective, that idea, because it, it gave me like a metaphor out there to apply to my inner world. And so I would sit there and be a sky and I would see thoughts, I would see clouds. And that's where my relationship with my thoughts, my conversations with my thoughts began of like, oh, hey, you're here. <laughs> and, right. and just like the clouds in the sky, they keep going. They're just passing through. Again, energy in motion. It's just passing through. And, and by having just witnessing it, there's so much expansion that happens. You know, one of the big things that I realized was like, oh my God, my thoughts do not have control of me. I can just look at them. What are some <clears throat> physical tools? I know that you are selling essential oils. Mm -hmm. Can you explain to me how you incorporate essential oils yeah. and tell me about your business? Yeah, so honestly, I actually, I haven't started up selling with doTERRA yet. 
Um, I actually just invested in this company. I was selling with Young Living. I was a distributor. And I do see in my future distributing with doTERRA. However, I'm waiting for it to be like a very natural occurrence. Like this opportunity now to share something really beautiful. And, you know, if people are interested, I'm, I'm super happy to like put people on. And then we can work as a team to like financially build that way. The, the business side of things is really abundant because it's natural medicine. Everybody buys medicine anyway. There's so many things that we can make out of essential oils that we purchase anyway. And by replacing essential oils in our life, replacing the toxins, we fine tune the frequency of our reality and we upgrade the things that we're putting on our body, the things that we're smelling, the things that we're cleaning with, you know, like here's an example. Our feet have the largest pores in our body. They're most receptive. And if we're cleaning our floors with toxic pine saw or Lysol or Clorox bleach or whatever we're cleaning it with, our feet, our body absorbs that. Anything that is on the skin for 26 seconds is present within every organ. Every organ. The whole bloodstream is filled with that chemical, that toxin. 26 seconds. ABCs. Done. And so... Oils have been, oh my God, oils have been so dear to my heart. Like really from the get-go in high school, I remember like just going to the oil section and just putting them all on because I couldn't afford them. They were so expensive, but I would just put them all on and go home and meditate and just sit there with them. And so I appreciate oils for meditating. You know, they're they're great topically. They're great internally. They're great to diffuse. Um, doTERRA is, is a very high quality blend that is actually safe to take internally. And, you know, when you're working with essential oils, you want to be particular about the ones you're buying because an oil an oil only has to have, I think it's 5% pure essential oil in it for it to say 100% pure. And so TJ Maxx, Marshalls, Walmart, Target, all of these places that have essential oils, you know, they're not actually pure essential oils. They're chemically based. And that's, you know, like the exact opposite thing of what we're trying to do here. And so, yeah, for meditating, I love to, depending on what oil I'm working with, like right now I have this Breathe blend. It's a respiratory um, blend of oils. And so it's got some menthol flavors in there, some relaxing, some calming. And I like to call it like, yeah, like organic Vicks or Icy Hot. I put a drop in my hands and my palms, rub them together, and then cup my palms around my nose, inhale deeply, fill my body up with air, exhale release and it's a huge cleanse it's an opening i mean you've experienced it it's mm -hmm. like i call it a breathe bomb because it just blows everything up that's in the way of breathing and there's really so like many a natural high it's a natural uh refocuser mm -hmm. exactly yeah and peppermint which is in here for instance is a, a focusing herb it's a focusing essential oil it's an invigorating one it's energizing it's pain relieving you know it's great to use when women have pain on their periods for cramps so there's essential oils for literally everything. Essential oils are ancient medicine. This is the medicine our ancestors use, plants on the planet. So so yeah, people like to refer to like natural medicine, like essential oils as like an alternative medicine. And the truth is that this is the original medicine. Big pharma is alternative medicine. Creating drugs in a, in a chemically based lab is alternative medicine. Plant medicine is original medicine. This is the medicine of the land. This is the medicine of our ancestors that everybody has access to. You don't have to have insurance or a certain amount of money to purchase this medicine, plant medicine. So you're talking about our ancestors, you're talking about natural medicine, and I know that you lived off grid. Mm -hmm. I know you traveled, you lived in Arizona, you lived in California. 
Tell me about that experience <laughs> in a condensed form. Okay, condensed. So let's see here. So I'll just I'll just share the beginning of my going off grid kind of situation. So I was living in Chicago for three years. I did two years of college, dropped out. I was like, yeah, this isn't for me. And I dove so deep into my yoga practice. I got uh, I did my teacher training, so I started teaching yoga. I um. I did my Akashic Records attunement, which Akashic Records is basically just tapping into God, the ether fields, and uh, receiving information for people. So people can ask questions when we do a session. And I, I work with their their guides, their higher self, my guides, my higher self, and give them information that maybe they couldn't see was in their blind spot. Mm-hmm. And so I did, I started to really let my heart guide me. And one day I got off work I was managing a juice bar in Chicago and it's like my cells were vibrating, my cells were vibrating and it was this feeling of like my soul jumping out of my skin. So I got in my Uber and my Uber driver started playing um, the the Kendrick Lamar Damn album Mm -hmm. and I just lost my shit. I lost my shit because that album to me at that time was so... It was so right on point with me not agreeing with the systems at hand. Favorite album of all time. Album of all time. And needing to break out. And so he played that and I just started going off. I'm like, oh my God, I have to get out of this city. Ah!" And we were just like talking about the matrix and the conditioning and the systems and what the fuck is going on. And I was so done. I quit my job. I sold everything. I had like three different yard sales. I bought a backpack, a tent and a water container. I packed everything up and I had a vision that I was going to go on a road trip. The next day, my friend called me. She said, hey, do you want to go on a road trip with us? Me and AJ are going on a road trip. So we did a 10 day road trip from Chicago to Portland. And at that point, they went back home. I sat on a bench with my backpack, and I started my journey. Wow. And that led you where? So from there, uh, I went inside the cafe of the bench that I was sitting on, and I chilled there for a little bit, and then I got a hostel. And it was this beautiful, it's called Traveler's House in Portland, um, in Portland, Oregon, if you're ever there. And I had this amazing experience of living in community for three days, living with, with tribe, living with people who were growing food, even in an urban, an urban setting, like in a city, like people were growing food. And there was just a consciousness that I had never experienced that I was starting to like reveal. I was just starting to see outside of me, you know, like I had this feeling inside of me that it was out there, but I didn't see it. You know, I didn't grow up in that. And so there was people of all color and all belief systems and whatever, just hanging out, living together. And so I was like, oh, God, like, I want to do something like this. And so on the last day that I was there, I woke up to do my morning practices, and I had this strong meditation. And one of my spiritual teachers, Yogi Bhajan, the person who brought Kundalini Yoga from the East to the West, he came to me and he said, go to Española. And Española is a city in New Mexico where the motherboard ashram of Kundalini Yoga is in um, the West, in our country. So... I called the ashram and I said, hey, I want to come there. I want to I want to do seva, which is selfless service, and I want to practice my sadhana with you guys. And they were like, perfect, we have a spot. It just opened up, come through. And so I had about three weeks from, I had a ticket to Belize, actually, to go to Belize. But between that time, I had about three weeks where I was just, I didn't have plans. I was just going to go with the wind. And so I basically, like, hiked my way down, um, into California and manifested places to stay, stayed in the mountains in my tent for a few days, like just made 
you know, that was a, a time in my life where I realized the power of faith. I realized the power of faith. I realized the power of my sadhana, my daily spiritual practice. I realized the power of prayer. And I really decided to put all my trust in God and see, fully invest in God and see where that leads. Wow, that's extremely inspiring. And I hear you talking about when you first <clears throat> began your journey, you were speaking about Kendrick Lamar and how that um, album was so inspiring for you in that moment. And... How has your music changed or what music do you listen to now that you are kind of a changed person from who you were? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, I think that's a beautiful question because you know what? Sound is the sound is the smallest sound is a, a, a vibration, a frequency that creates all physical reality. One of my teachers says from subtle to gross, gross meaning meaning material. So living in the ashram, I started chanting mantra. And I realized that all the music I was listening to, they were mantras. And mantras about killing and shooting and money and sex and gangs, those are not the mantras that I wanted to be creating my life anymore. Those are not the sound frequencies that I wanted to be sculpting out my reality anymore because I could see that that was happening for me. And so I, I shifted. You know, one day I was in the ashram and I, I, I just deleted all my music and I started a new playlist. And the playlist was, was named, okay, this is cool. Because the feeling that I would feel when I would turn on music that resonated with me was like, like peaceful. Mm -hmm. Like I could settle into it. Like I didn't have to be on the edge of my seat. Like, are they going to, you know, because it's a, we're 70% we're water. And if you have a glass of water and you speak over it, it's going to vibrate. It's going to make little, little geometric shapes in the water. Each sound vibration is making little geometric shapes. And so as mostly water, human beings, mostly water, we're influenced by sound vibrations. And so I didn't need my mind to tell me what music worked for me. I could just feel in my body what was working, what was resonating. Like when a gong, you hit a gong and it just resonates. What was resonating with me? And so... I, let, I started to let that be the guide for me in music. Now, the other day, Gordon and I, my partner, we drove back from Indiana and we blasted off to Kendrick Lamar. And you know, what has happened for me is that over the, the three years of really uh, cultivating safety with music, cultivating like the strength, to cultivating a strong responsibility in my life to see, okay, I accept this within my reality or, okay, I don't accept this within my reality. I can go back into those places with myself from a, a higher consciousness and I can experience that music without feeling totally taken over by the sound vibrations. Mm -hmm. I can experience the music and be like, okay, that's enough, turn it off. Or, okay, this is actually supporting me in a process right now, an internal process right now. This is inspiring something. This is bringing something up. So it's been a process of like fine tuning and also just being really connected to my body and feeling feeling what works feeling what doesn't work and being honest truly I think the biggest thing that a lot of people struggle with is honesty within themselves yeah. and just being real and yeah. just seeing your reality for what it is and yeah. just being in that exactly just experiencing our experience and it, it can be so easy to be dishonest with ourselves even though it's like the most you know it seems like the most ironic thing because no one is holding us accountable but ourselves to be honest with ourselves so we can fool ourselves that we're being honest with ourselves and not be so going in back a little bit into meditation i want to ask you for our listeners what could be three tips for someone who's new to meditation what are three tips that helped you really get into that practice? Yeah. Okay. Wonderful. So I'd say the first thing is 
have your physical body in a comfortable position. When you're meditating, you don't want your physical body to be distracting you. If you have tension, you know, if you have shoulder tension, if your head hurts, whatever, put your body in a, a comfortable place so that you can be set up to go within. If your body is distracting and in pain, it's going to be pretty hard to go within. You're just going to be focused on the discomfort. So, you know, whether that means you're laying down, whether like yesterday you were sitting up straight and now you can't seem to sit up straight at all and now you need to lay down, you know, being honest with yourself, set yourself up in a comfortable position. Right, setting yourself up for success exactly. within that meditation. Exactly. And, and <clears throat> inside of that, setting yourself up comfortable, have a straight spine. The spine is extremely important for meditating, for receiving information, for living our highest lives. It's the central channel of our nervous system. And so if you're going to meditate, uh, set yourself up for success by being comfortable and creating a straight spine. So sit in a chair, lay on a pillow, um, do whatever you need to do, but have a straight spine. If you, if you have no problem sitting up straight, sitting in lotus or sitting in some easy meditative posture, do that. So I'd say that's the first thing, comfort in a straight spine. Uh, the second thing I'd say is remember that if your mind is thinking, it's doing its job. Don't get frustrated that your mind's thinking. Your mind's going to think. And if it's your first time meditating, you better bet your mind's going to have a lot to show you because you haven't been looking at it. You haven't been present with your mind. And that's okay. Be compassionate with yourself. Meet yourself where you're at. Know that your mind's doing its job by thinking. And remember that you're the sky. The thoughts are the clouds. The sky does not hold on to the clouds or push them away. It just lets them go. So just like the, the thoughts coming through my mind, okay, hi thoughts, I acknowledge you. And, when you're, and so then the third thing I would say is uh, have a dursti, that's a Sanskrit word for focal point. Have a focal point for your meditation. So for me, I like to make my focal point, I like to close my eyes and become very comfortable, you know, like the first thing. And I like to focus on my breath. So sometimes my mind will take me way out here. And then when I recognize that that's what's happening, I'll say thank you and I'll just, I'll say thank you in my head and I'll just come back to my breath. I'll just get back into my breath, fully inhaling, fully exhaling. And it's, it's no harm, no foul. I'm not mad at myself, I'm not doing it wrong. Sometimes I spent 11 minutes meditating and I, was, I wasn't present the whole time. I was thinking about something. Okay, well, I was processing. That's okay. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I, I spend 11 minutes and I'm meditating extremely deeply and I'm connecting with Jesus and I'm like, you know, like doing some magical work on my inner realms. And so I'd say, yeah, those three things. Be comfortable. Have a straight spine. Remember that your mind is going to think. You are not the thoughts. And third, um, focus on something. Amazing. And finally, I think it's important that people realize that no matter how you're meditating or what you're doing, that you're doing it perfectly. Because yeah. that's something that you reminded me, like whatever process, whatever st stage <clears throat> of your journey that you're in, you're doing everything exactly how it's supposed to be done if you're listening to yourself mm -hmm. when you're listening to your heart. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's an amazing thing that we can leave our listeners with. And if they are inspired by you, what social media... Uh, can they find you on or how can they contact you if they want to know more about you? Yeah, yeah. My main social media is Instagram and um, my handle is Simran Shakti. I'll spell that S-I-M as in Mary, R-A-N as in Nancy, Shakti, S-H-A-K-T-I. Okay, Simran, thank you so much for joining us on the Annex Podcast. You guys can tune in every Friday at 6 to 7 p.m. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening to the Annex Podcast, and we out. Yeah.